again, good to see all of you today. Um, praise the Lord for you being here. Take your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. We had opportunity yesterday to stop by Lori and wish Miss Annie a happy birthday. 97. 97 years young. And I've got to meet several folks there, as I've said to you. A different, unusual circumstance that my grandfather was Miss Annie's pastor uh, years ago. And so got to meet some other people that were part of that family. Um, Doris, how is she related to you? Okay, Doris was... Uh, uh, Carefully I'll say this. Not as old as some of the other people that were there. <laughs> but she was... Um, Youngest, all right. She um, she was head of nursing at Cape Fear Valley Hospital, where my brother was chief financial officer, and so uh, got. I never met her. My brother told me much about her, but it was good to see Miss Hanny. And well, Bob and I, as preachers do, we get off in the corner, and uh, a question got asked: Are y'all ready for tomorrow? And Bob and I both said at the same time, "No, <laughs> but it's not tomorrow." All right. Um, some text, I'm telling you, we just, um, you pour over and you pour over and you're still going, I'm not sure I quite got this yet. Um, and um, today's one of those. And, it, and it's, not, it's not that I don't understand what it's saying, it's, it's fitting it in, in in the situation in which uh, we find ourselves. I, I don't know, um, our church is a little different, uh, some would say really different. Um, in the fact that we devote a lot of time to the preaching of the Word. Um, I've been in churches that uh, the most important things that were done were the announcements and um, the the committees giving some type of of report and then the last 15 minutes was for the sermonette, for the Christianettes, uh, from from the pastorette. Um, And that's not what you have here, and you you know that. and it's not that we set out to do hour-long sermons. We just, we just set out to do the Word. And it, and it lasts as, as long as it lasts. But, you know, it's interesting. If you visit other churches, it's interesting what passes off as, as Christianity sometimes. You, you, you've got Baptist on the sign or, or even Bible churches. And you go in and you go, I'm not, I'm not sure that they understand. That we're, that we're gathering for the same purpose. Uh, that and that's not saying we got a corner on it. I'm just saying that if you if you've been other places, you you see things that are that are are different. And I and I guess in the starting of this, I would ask the question: You know, why are we here? Well, some of you say because my parents brought me, um, or my spouse brought me. But most of us would say we came today to hear the word of God proclaimed. We heard we come to hear it preached and um, taught that that I would grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord. And then we find ourselves in text like we're going to find today. I've titled this, Beware, Lest Someone Take You Hostage. Beware, Lest Someone Take You Hostage. We're just going to get as far as we can today and pick it up. Paul's letter, like all of his letters, are, are written in a style that we know as Paul's. You, if you study Scripture long enough, you can, you can recognize Paul's 
vocab, you can recognize his style, the same thing, comparing it to John. And it's interesting how every word is God-breathed and yet it flows out of the personality, the vocab, the illustrations of that individual writer. But like all of Paul's letters, like our letters, if you're going to write a good letter, you're going to have a, a section where you do a greeting. In fact, we, we, we don't know how to write letters anymore. If we can't get it in a you know, 200 words on a text line or, or a, an email. In fact, now we're to the point of abbreviating everything that we can't, we can't spell out, laugh out loud. We've got to put LOL. And, we've got to, and you, you actually need a, a, a book of these, these terms that are being used today. But the old-fashioned way was to express it. I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to read, even back in the Civil War, some of the, Alan gave me some of those, some of the letters that were written even by, by um, Robert E. Lee back to his family, they just had a way of, of writing that we, we don't have today. They had a way of expressing themselves uh, that, was, that was great. So normally in a letter, you, you, you begin with a greeting. You start and you... you tell them that you know them. And in this case, Paul hasn't, doesn't know them. Uh, he knows them through Epaphras. It's the only way he knows them. And, and, but he's still, as Paul always does, he, he greets them in the Lord. In verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 3, I always thank God the Father uh, when we pray for you. Well, he didn't know them, but he, he had a general prayer that he would pray for all of those. And so there was a general greeting there. We've already looked at verses... Um, 8 and following where Paul prays that prayer. We looked at this last week. We also included it in chapter 2 that Paul's prayer there for them that they would grow, be filled, be governed by uh, the knowledge of God's will and have spiritual wisdom and understanding, he says there in verse 9. He also reminds them to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing and bearing fruit and having strength and giving thanks. And that's all in that, those opening prayers. And then in verse 15 and following, Paul then turns to truth. Truth that Christ is who He said He is. Christ is, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Because He's going to get to the problem in just a minute. So Paul is laying a foundation of where he's going, but he's laying it in a positive sense that here's the foundation that we need to build the rest of this letter on that you need to understand who Christ is. Verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God is pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross. And he reminds them who they were and then he reminds them beginning in verse 24 of why Paul sees himself as suffering as the one who's delivering through his suffering this very message of who Christ is. Then Beginning in chapter 2, he starts talking about his concern for them. His concern that, that they would be encouraged, he says in verse 2, that they would be knitted together in love. And, and if you've been in church long, you know that that can happen. Divisions can happen. People get their nose bent out of shape about the most strangest of things. I was talking to a former pastor this week who is now a missionary long story, but he'll, he'll be visiting with us next Sunday, not as a missionary, but just coming to be a part of our service. Um, their last name is Darling. And they don't play banjos or anything, but they're the Darlings. Okay. But I was talking to him, and he talked about being a church that they had uh, 
English service. It was in Houston, and a Spanish service. He was over at Spanish service, and then became pastor over the whole church. And they had two bulletins that they produced. And one bulletin was a, a bifold that they did for the Spanish church, and the other one was a trifold that they did for the English-speaking side. I guess there was more stuff to put into one, I guess. Well, the secretary came to him and said, can we go to just one size paper? So I don't have to buy two different sizes of paper and figure out, can we just go to one size paper? Well, you would think, that's a simple, that's a request. I, I promise you, if that question comes from, from Renee to us as elders, we're not going to ask you. We're just going to say, yeah, do, do whatever you want to do. What, whatever it best fits. We got called in the office by the other elders that he had made a decision above and beyond his capability. And we laugh at that, but I'm telling you, churches are split over much less. So Paul is praying here for their unity, that you're not always going to agree. You've got to be able to put things in their proper places, and it's okay to disagree about some things, but that doesn't, that's not the bond of our fellowship together. That love is, that around Christ is. He's, he's sufficient, verse 2, that you would knit together love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding that the knowledge of Christ's mystery, which is Christ. In other words, he keeps pointing them back to the very thing he said in verse 15. It's all about Christ. It's all about Him. It's not about us. It's all about Christ. And then he describes it, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now here's the question. Do you believe that? Do you, do you believe that in Christ is all, all that we need for wisdom and understanding and knowledge? Some do, some don't. Verse 4, I say this in order that you no one deludes you with plausible arguments. Here's the problem. If Christ is not the sufficient one, if Christ's Word is not the anchor of our belief, that we believe what the Bible says and that's why we believe it, if that's, if that's not the basis, then we're going to be led astray by every plausible argument that comes down the right. Every wind of doctrine that's going to come blowing down the plains, we're going to be shifting from one side to the next. Paul says in verse 5, Though I'm absent in body, yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and your firmness of your faith in Christ. Keep going. Keep doing what, what God is, is doing in your life. Keep doing that. Keep that as your focus. Verse 6, Therefore, as you've received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in Him. This is what we talked about last week. And he said that back in verse chapter 1, verse did he not walk in a manner of the Lord fully pleasing him that we conduct our life in a way that, that's pleasing to the Lord as we receive Christ we're to walk in him we're to walk like him then it reminds us again that we're rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving that's the attitude of our heart is all that the Lord has done it's all him He's the one who's redeemed us. He's the one who, who keeps us. The Scripture's all about Him. And as we dig in the Scriptures, it's all about our life coming in conformity with the truth. And that abounds in thanksgiving, doesn't it? Man, we thank the Lord for all that He's done. Can, can, get, 
I don't know if you've ever done it, and you need to at times, take a piece of paper and start writing out all the blessings that the Lord has blessed you with. If you'll be honest with it, not, don't make big swaps. Be specific. You'll fill pages. God, thank you for all the blessings, all that you're... And then, not only of what He's done, but who He is. Do you know who He is? You can go back to verse 15 and following and start taking that apart and understand all that Christ is. But then He says in verse 8, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elementary spirit of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in Him. You're you're complete in Him is what he's saying. You're complete in Him who is the head and, and of all rule and authority in Him. Also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with Him in baptism in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead and you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcised uncircumcision of the flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven all of your trespasses by canceling the debt or the record of, your, of the debt that stood against you with His legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. Therefore, let let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or or drink or regard to festival or new moon or Sabbath. Therefore, those are shadows of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism or the worship of angels or, or going into detail about visions or puffed up without reason by sensuous minds, not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body is nourished and knitted together through its joints and ligaments, grow, it grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elementary spirits of the world, why, as it were, still, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perished as they are used according to the human. Uh, precepts and teachings, these things indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they have no value in stopping the indulgences of the flesh. We'll keep reading. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. We'll stop there. Now we're to the point of why Epaphras has traveled 1,200 miles to see Paul. Epaphras, did you just come to tell me that I may rejoice in all this going on in Colossae? Well, I do want you to rejoice, but, but there's something else going on that's going to divide us if we're not careful. And Paul, I need you to address this. The people at Colossae were 
were like other churches. They were made up of, of people with a, a history of Christianity, or maybe not Christianity, a history of, of God. Okay? Jewish people, they, they are, they're a monotheistic society. They, they understood there was one God, but there was also made up here in Colossae of people without a history of God. They were a, a polytheistic society, like the Greeks and the Romans. And that Jesus Christ was just one among many gods. In other words, they, they received Christ, but they just added it to this other... They just sort of rearranged the shelf in their house, and they, they put another symbol up there uh, and added it to it instead of saying, Christ is all. Get rid of all this other stuff. Christ is all. We have a mixture here of paganism and Judaism. How do you relate and gain acceptance by them? Again, in this culture of Colossae, there was the worship of many gods. And in Jews, there was the worship of one god. But the question was, how do you relate to him? How do you... How do you um, if it were, to seek salvation in him? How, how does that evidence? And they, he talks about ceremonialism. That's why he talks about uh, circumcision. That's why he, he talks about the keeping of Jewish dietary laws, the, of the observing of the holy days. And we found out in other places where Paul has ministered, and he actually came back to the church at Jerusalem. We need to talk about this because now there's some teaching going on that these, that these, these Gentiles that have been saved, they need to be circumcised because they need to look like Jews. And Paul said, no, 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 no. We're not, we're not making them Jews. We're not making them in that sense. We're, they're in Christ. This doesn't add anything to them. They had heard the gospel. They responded to the gospel. They had trusted Christ, but they had reintroduced some of this stuff. They had introduced philosophy. Or to name a been as I've said, that Christ is just one among many. Or we gain our acceptance by legalism. In chapter 2, look at verse 16. Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or drink or regard the festival or new moon or the Sabbath. In other words, you've got to worship on this day. I said, uh-uh. That's not it. What's at the bottom of this? The bottom of this in my thinking is is this issue a battle over the sufficiency of Christ and the insufficiency of Christ? Is Christ sufficient? Is He all I need? Or is it Christ plus something? That Christ, Christ gains me some, but... But I still got to do the legalism. I still got to keep the Sabbath. I still got to not eat some things. I still got to cut my hair this way. I still got to do these things to gain acceptance by God. Or am I in Christ and that's all I need? Is it Christ plus something? Now before we go too far, we need to realize that this is not too far from what we still see of the day. It's Christ plus nature. We need to make sure we're making Mother Nature happy here. We add Christ to the, the, to the, the number of gods that we worship. 
I see young people do this. Oh yeah, I, I serve the Lord, but you start looking at their life. Christ is just someone they do on Sunday. Christ has no effect on what they are Monday through Saturday. They live their life like they so please. Is it Christ plus something? Is it even in church? Is it Christ plus something? Do, do, we, do we need to do tongues? To be saved? To show that we've reached another level of spirituality? Is it, listen, and I'm talking about stuff that splits churches all the time. Is it, is it a certain version of the Bible that we need to be battling for? I'm not talking about preference of liking one or the other. I've, I've, gave, I've given Jonathan Harry, these guys like the uh, LSV Bible. I, it's okay. I, Bob and I say it's, it's sort of a hard translation. You know, it's sort of a mm, in your face. Like, it's fine, okay. And I've, I've given it to somebody and somebody goes, mm, I'm not, that's, uh, that's, that, I, I like my ESV better. I've given it to others. Oh, yeah, I like it. I'm not talking about preferences like that. I'm saying there's a group of people who say, unless you've been led to the Lord by a 1611 King James Bible, you're not saved. Now, I don't know what you do with Paul. But are we adding to it? Are we adding to it? Are we even adding our good works to it? Listen, even, even not so much in a threatening way, all of us come to church with baggage. We've come raised in a Christian home or not. We, we've come to church with an example of a godly mother and dad or, or not. We come to church with some knowledge of Scripture or not. Some of you, I mean, this is the first time. I mean, you've had a Bible, but this is the first time you've ever been challenged to open it and read it for yourself. Some, some not. Some of us come with baggage of preconceived ideas about, and, and listen, we're all we're a product of this. We've been mistaught. I was reminded, um, turn over to 1 Timothy, I think it is. 1 Timothy. I know what I did with this. 1 Timothy. I'm going to find Timothy. 1 Timothy. 5. Is it 5? Where did I write that down? Ah, 1 Timothy 2. First Timothy 2, verse 15, Yet she shall be saved through childbearing. Is that teaching that if you have a baby, you're saved? That what that's teaching? That somehow they got taught that in Zimbabwe, not through Stuart. But they believe, man, there's two ways for a woman to be saved. She can be saved through faith or she can be saved through childbearing. Is that what that's talking about? So you see how we need to unlearn that. Okay? We've got, we got to understand what that passage is talking about. Now I've wetted your whistle. You're going to come up to me. What does that mean? So you can ask Bob. Uh, what that means. <laughs> He's a Zimbabwe Now I'm just giving you that as, a, as an illustration that none of us come to the Scriptures even void. 
In other words, we come with preconceived ideas. We come with education or lack of education. We come with an ability with languages or at least you know where to look it up or, or not. We all come with these preconceived ideas. And sometimes those are, are great. Sometimes they're godly. Sometimes they're not. Shared with our young couples, my wife was way, raised in, a, in the early days in a fundamentalist home. No pants. Anytime. The eldest sister got in trouble for taking pants with her on the bus and changing in high school. Dad was... He was a fundamentalist, but he was not stupid. And he ran a daycare, and he came to find out real quick that it's not as modest. In fact, it's more modest for a woman to be sitting on the floor playing with kids with pants on than it is to have her dress pulled up over her head. He said, you know what? So he changed that. But even, even that time affected Melody. You'll notice on a Sunday morning, you'll never see her in a pair of pants. That's not to say she'd never sit in judgment of any of you. But for her, her background is go, she knows that's not what that scripture's talking about. But still, you see how that affects us. Okay. This, is, this is what's happening. They're, they're coming to the scripture, they're coming to Christ, but still there's this baggage they're bringing with them. And now they're reintroducing it or introducing it to the church at Colossae. They're coming with this baggage. After Paul has established who Christ is in chapter 1, and what we proclaim also in chapter 1, and what his prayer is, Paul now turns attack to reveal the things that steal away, the things that hold us hostage, that rob us of the truth about Christ. Chapter 2, look at verse 17, he says, these are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. It's got to be about Christ. See, there are those who want to improve Christianity. They want Christianity 2.0. And we're going to add some things to it. We're going to add intellectualism to it. This is what we cover in verses 8 through 10. We're going to add ritualism to it, verses 11 through 13. We're going to add legalism to it, verses 14 to 17. We're going to to add mysticism to it, verses 18 and 19. Or asceticism, verses 20 through 23. And what that means is self-discipline. It means the cutting of the hair, abstaining from from meat or grapes. it it, It even includes a hermit style living. Religions that embrace that are Buddhism and Hinduism and others. It's the abandonment of sensual pleasures that lead to an abstinence lifestyle in the pursuit of redemption, salvation, or spirituality. God's, God is more impressed with me. See, God, look how much I've given up for you. Look how much I cut myself. Look at things that I don't eat for you. And you're, God, you're going to be more impressed with me than sister over here who just trusts Christ creeping in the church. This is the early stages of Gnosticism. 
Gnosticism, let me give you seven elements of this very quickly. Gnosticism, it's an an absorbed, non-Christian thought that's brought into the Christian faith. This is what it is. It's non-Christian thought brought into the Christian faith. Gnosticism teaches that sin is matter, or matter is sin. Therefore, Christ could not have taken on human form because anything of material-wise is evil. They prohibited marriage. They prohibited the eating of meat and wine and other issues. They believed and taught that Jehovah of the Old Testament was a tribal God of just Israel and He was to be denounced as an alien and hostile deity even in some of His teachings. Number six, they separated Jesus from Christ Deity denying both the deity and the humanity of Christ. And in the end, they totally changed the truth to apostasy. Complete abandonment of faith previously held to. As I said, they denied two things in particular. They denied the humanity of Christ and they denied the deity of Christ. So let's look at it, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit. First of all, I want you to see the menace. It's what it is. It's a menace. It's a threat. It's to hold hostage. See that no one takes you captive. Beware. Be on guard. We say this sometimes about our kids, but we can say this about theology too with our kids. It used to be the only thing we had to worry about with with our kids was what came in the front door. We could we could we could sort of we could sort of stop that at the front door. We could we could affect that. But now it's not what comes in the front door or the back door. Now it's now what comes over the airways. That our phones and stuff stuff that we would never allow in the front door has easy access in our homes. The same thing's true here. Beware, be on guard, not everything. Listen, not everything on YouTube is good. And not everybody who has a Bible study on YouTube should be having a Bible study on YouTube. I said something about not anybody here. I didn't say anybody here. Nobody here. When I said to a young lady, People aren't near as fatuated with your looks as you are. Every picture she had was a selfie. Well, we get enamored with that, don't we? We think, and we turn to, listen, we turn to these people. Well, they, 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 they must know. I mean, they, they, they're on YouTube. They're, they're, the big thing now, I didn't know this, but the big thing now is to drive your car and have devotions while you're driving. Huh. And the thing is, we let these people in our homes. We let them... You know, we, we, we don't judge them on the basis of Scripture. Well, somebody told me it was good. And we end up not being aware, not being on guard, lest anyone spoil you. Not even, lest anyone... The word spoil there, that's in mind, is take you captive. It means to plunder. It means to lead captive. It means to make you a vision, a victim by fraud. You're to look out for these. And it also can mean to look out lest they carry you off as booty to rob you. It's kidnapping. 
It's the plundering of a house. It can be used of the seduction of a woman. Don't let anyone kidnap you. No one to plunder your treasure. This is, this is what said a long time ago that one of the, the, the biggest recruiting areas for false religions are Baptist churches. Because we haven't taught our young people why we believe what we believe. And that's also, but that's also on us as parents, isn't it? Why do you believe what you believe, Mom and Dad? And especially now they get sent off to college. And that guy or that woman must know what she's talking about because she's got a doctorate off to her name. And to find out she ain't got sense enough coming out of the rain, much less teach kids. They can't define what a woman is anymore. Why would I want to send my kid to that person? And we see that on that level, but you know, we've got to be careful inside the church too. Those who persuade people to abandon truth for error and are seducers and robbers. It is to give up the truth about Christ Jesus the Lord for a pack of lies. It's the trading of truth for lies. Are there any examples of people like that in the Scriptures? Yeah, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. <clears throat> We're going to talk about this, just this, this, this issue of people being led astray. It doesn't have to be about doctrine, but it does talk about people who are being led astray. In Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12, look at verse um, 15. Hebrews 12, verse 15. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble, and by it many become defiled. That no one is, is sexually immoral or unholy like who? Esau. What did he do? He sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterwards when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. He found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. What we're talking about, somebody who sold out for cheap. Can you imagine? You're going to inherit. You're the number one person in the inheritance. The inheritance is yours. And you sell it for a bowl of soup. You give it up. And you think of that. You think, there's, there's no way that somebody would be that stupid. Well, it depends on how hungry you are. People give up the faith for a lot less. They sell out Christ for a lot less. It's possible. Or, and we won't turn to these, 2 Samuel chapter 15, also in chapter 17, Ahithophel, remember him? Ahithophel, he, he traded David for who? Anybody remember? Absalom. And in 2 Samuel, we'll just read one verse out of this whole story. It's, it, the story is captivated in chapter 15, most of chapter 15. But one verse in chapter 17, I'll just use the conclusion of the matter. In chapter 17, 2 Samuel 17, verse 23, when Hithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his donkey and went home to his own city and he set his house in order and he hanged himself. And he died and was buried in the tomb of his father. You think what he had with David and he sold it. He gave it away. And it ended up costing him his life. 
Or in Joshua chapter 7, we could talk about Achan, couldn't we? Turn over there with me to Joshua chapter 7 real quick. Joshua chapter 7. And for sake of time, I won't deal with all of this. Remember the story. God told him to go out. Don't bring anything back. And in chapter 7, I will pick up the reading in verse 10. Joshua 7. And the Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why are you following your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant. I've commanded them. They've taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before the enemies because we have become devoted for destruction. I will be with them no more unless you destroy the devoted things that are among you. Go over to verse starting in verse 19. And Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to Him and tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan said, truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel and this is what I've, I did. You can read all the story of what he took. What did it cost him in verse 25? It cost him his life. They picked up stones and stoned him. All I'm using this as an illustration is it's amazing what we'll use to sell out people. And we sell out the Lord for much less. Or we could go to Judas, couldn't we, in Matthew chapter 27, couldn't we? Judas sold the Lord Jesus out for what? 30 pieces of silver and he didn't keep that. Or what about Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5? They lied to the Holy Spirit of what the Lord had done and God took them. Or ending of Paul's life in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul recognizes Demas. Remember him? He's forsaken me having loved this present world. These are examples, just examples of trading. To trade the truth for an error is apostasy. The highest and the most expensive form of treachery of all. Those who want to steal the believer away from the spiritual family and sell him as a slave into false doctrine. I have a dear friend of mine and I'm trying to get the guts up to call him. Graduated with me. and God blessed him greatly. But now he's forsaken the gospel for a woke doctrine no longer preaches the gospel anymore. And he's getting paid big money to do it. Would you sell out Christ? He did. This is why Paul's saying, beware. See to it. Always be on guard. This is in a present tense imperative. See to it. Always stay on Guard. Matthew chapter 7, beware. Matthew chapter 16, beware. The text that Bob read in, chapter, in chapter, Acts chapter 20. Turn there with me. Acts chapter 20, just for a moment. Acts 20. Paul says in verse 29, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. 
And from among your own selves will, will rise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples to themselves. Therefore be alert. Remember that for three years I did not cease night and day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all that are sanctified. Talks about the coveting. Here it is. Paul's pouring out his heart. He reminded them in Philippians chapter 3, look out for the dogs, look out for the evil workers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. One other passage which you turn to, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. One last illustration of this being taken captive. The same word is used in 2 Timothy chapter 3 in verse 6. Again, Paul's last letter, for he says in verse 6, For among them are those who crept into households and captured weak women, burdened with sins, and led astray by various passions, always learning, but never able to come to the knowledge or arrive at the knowledge of the truth. This is the menace. Paul in his mind, it is unthinkable that those who have been ransomed, redeemed, should be so vulnerable by ignorance and thus in the spiritual war become prisoners of spiritual of a spiritual predator with false doctrine. But it happens every day. And the guys behind the pulpit aren't exempt. In that text that Bob read, it reminds Paul's, Paul's admonishment to those... those um, those elders that he was leaving behind, their admonishment to that, that you've got to watch out for this. Paul says, I did not shrink to declare the whole council. Now you be careful and you protect the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseer to care for the church of God which you obtained with His own blood. Part of the responsibility of the elders is to protect the flock. That's why at times we need to warn you Sometimes we do it by naming names. You need to know those that are stealing away people by teaching false doctrine. And this is what he's talking about. They're creeping in and you're not paying attention. Oh, it sounds good. Well, how do they do it? That's the menace. Real quick, how do they do it? What's their method? How do they lead them astray? Well, he does it by five ways he's going to talk about in the text. Number one, through philosophy. Verse 8 take you captive by philosophy. Through philosophy or vain deceit. Intellectualism. Uh, J.B. Phillips says, high-minded nonsense. The way he translated the word. And we'll talk about next week after the traditions of men, after, after the rudiments of the world. The key word there um, in philosophy and empty deceit is the word deceit. It's used 19 times in the New Testament and it always refers to Satan and his work. In Ephesians chapter 4 verse 22, it doesn't sound like that, but it does talk about in chapter 4 verse 22, uh, put off your old self which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires is the same word. This philosophy, this love of wisdom. The love of wisdom for the sake of wisdom. MacArthur 
says, how, how is it that they are going to lead us off? How is it they're going to capture us? Through vain deceit. The philosophy equals vain deceit. The means of capturing people's philosophy. High sounding knowledge and theory that is all human. Philosophy and human wisdom. Wisdom that sounds like divine. Human wisdom that that, uh, supposes to be greater than anything else that you've ever heard. That's what the cults offer. You really want to know the truth about who you are? Then come listen to us. One writer put it this way, everything that had to do with theories about God and the world and the meaning of human life are called philosophy at the time, not only in pagan schools, but also in Jewish schools of of the Greek cities. Somebody coming along with new theory about God, a new theory about the world, its origins, its meaning, its its destiny constituted a philosophy or a, a philosopher. That was what was coming. Intellectualism. Human reasoning. Always abounding in evilness. But human reasoning is not all bad, right? I know my house, this is human reasoning, if the television is too loud, my wife is going to smack me. That's, I know that. That's, that's, I, well, how do you know that? Well, I've got the scars to prove it. Okay? But human reasoning can only go so far. There are things that human reasoning cannot answer. Human reasoning cannot answer, how did the world begin? I mean, I mean, we've gone the full circle, haven't we? If you listen years, oh, it's 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 through the elevator, that word, evolution is what I'm trying to say. That process. Well, now they've had to admit that life had to come from somewhere. It had to be transplanted here. You can believe that. Well, how did it get here? I heard one one guy who really pictures this. How did it get here? Well, it came on the back of a meteor as it came through the atmosphere. You, you realize how hot that is? But, but once you, you can't explain it. You can't answer the question. Human reasoning won't tell you what another person is thinking. Again, you know some after being married to them for 40 years, but you really don't know. Have you ever, you ever done that? You answered, answered a question of your spouse and then look at you and go, that's not what I was thinking at all. Human reasoning won't tell you that. Human reasoning will not tell you the truth of the Bible. It's a result of divine revelation. It's substance and inspiration. What, is the, what does the Bible say that the preaching of the cross is to those that are perishing? Foolishness. God tells us that we cannot know, never know, those things apart from God Himself. Let me give you a few more that human reasoning can't answer. What is God like? 
Now, there's plenty of people like to tell you what God likes. A loving God would never send anybody to hell. You heard that one? He will. He will. But what's God like? What are His attributes? What is His character? What is His will? What is His attitude towards us? Or lastly, what is the redemptive purpose of God? The only way we're going to know those things is through divine revelation. So we ask the question then, if human philosophy is is deceitful, then what is the source of truth then? And have you abandoned the search of biblical truth by turning away to philosophy and false teaching? Or empty deceit, empty foolish, unreal, hollow, worthless, fraud, trick. It sounds good. It seduces the mind. There's one person called it, it's called a a vapor illusion. But it's not according to Christ. See one, no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty seat according to the human tradition, according to the elementary spirits of the world and not according to Christ. In the end, we'll talk about human tradition next time. In the end, it's not according to Christ. The question we have to ask is, am I content to say that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, all that really matters, all that has value, all that the, at the that would call that I would call a treasure is truly found in Christ, in Christ alone? Turn back with me to Ephesians, just one book. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. And in Him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you'd heard the, the, the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of your inheritance until we acquire the possession of it to the praise of His glory. Is that enough for you? Chapter 3, verse 11, according to the eternal purpose that He has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ephesians 3, 11. Or we could even go to Philippians chapter chapter 3, beginning in verse 7, real quick. What were gained, I had, I counted as lost for the sake of Christ. I mean, Paul, Paul was a smart guy. 
Paul had read the philosophers. He, he knew all that stuff. In fact, he, he not only knew it from a philosophy side, he knew it from a Jewish standpoint. This is the reason he was killing the Christians. This is, this is, this is a tragedy. And, 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 and he, was, he was counted as one of the great ones because he's... Paul said, you know what? I gave all that up for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I suffer the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. You couldn't find a more nasty word. Dung. Poop, if you want it. All of it. It's manure compared in order that I may gain Christ. And being found in Him, having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law not having a right that comes to the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and share in the sufferings becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I maintain the resurrection from the dead. This is why Paul could say, you know, to depart and be with Christ is what? It's far greater. Christ was all for Paul. Another writer, what the Christian gospel is simply this, all the answers you need for time and eternity are in Christ. All the answers for your soul, all the answers for your sin, all the answers for the hope, for the life to come, they're all in Christ and only in Christ. There is no other authority in the Bible. There is no other Savior than Jesus Christ and you will find everything you will ever desire or need in Him that's why going back to Colossians 2, verse 10, in Him we have been made complete. You have been made complete in Him. Look at chapter 2, look at verse 9 in Colossians. For in Him the fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been made complete in Him. Who is the head of all rule and authority? In Him you have been, you were circumcised with a circumcision not made or made without hands. I'll stop there. Christ is enough. He's all I need. Paul says, listen, don't let anybody tell you anything different. It is a blessing to be able to do, and I'll say it this way because it's being taken in Africa, what we're doing on the ground floor to make sure we lay a foundation that's not built on Providence. And it's not built on Bob. It's not built on Harry. It's built on Christ. So that when we're gone, and we will be gone one day, Christ won't be gone. He's all they need. You, you can't fix it economically. You can't. It's not fixable. You, you can't dig enough wells. But their greatest need, like ours, isn't water. It's the Word. It's the Word that saves. Don't let anybody lead you astray, folks. 
It's in Christ and in Christ alone. Father, we thank You for the truth of Your Word. And as we sang, in Christ alone. Father, I pray for the one today, the few don't know You. They're not in You. They're looking through philosophy or, 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 or some way of impressing You with their works. Father, I pray for a work of Your Spirit in their life. Awaken them from the dead that they may see themselves as You see them. That works are as filthy rags. That all I can do is wrong. But in Christ, He is my hope. He is my redemption. He is my substitute. He is my atonement. He's my King. Father, I pray that You protect our church in the years ahead. Keep us from going off into philosophy and vain deceit. Keep us from going off in anything other than the Word. That You might get all the glory. It's all Yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.